0: Catherine Swift is with me as a relatively new addition to the CFIB, the Canadian Federation of Independent Business. In 1988, Catherine was involved (laughs) with the original free trade agreement. I was. Hi. Yeah. And then came, uh, uh, by the time 1994 rolled around, if I remember correctly, you were vice president and chief economist with the CFIB?
1: I think you're right, yep. (laughs) I I know I became president in 95, so yeah, it would be just before that. Yeah, Yeah.
0: so I'm, I'm just testing my memory here.
1: And that Pretty was 19- well, Roy, and not better. Huh?
0: So, <laughs> <laughs> so you should be worried. What's he doing? Is he following me? <laughs> and then and now, so we have NAFTA two point uh, Where do you where do you start, Catherine? What are your thoughts on just the progression from nineteen eighty eight and the FTA to NAFTA two point oh?
1: Well, um, obviously the the FT the first one, the FTA, was huge for Canada because it was the first one um and uh to reach of course we've always had a a, you know a very profoundly important uh, relationship with the u.s economy so i i certainly believe it was virtually all positive there were some adjustments no question about it there always are but overwhelmingly positive and and analyses subsequent have indeed you know backed that up now of course nafta was interesting as mexico came into the mix and of course, the U.S. and Canada are very, very similar. We have pretty comparable sort of labor standards, wage levels, and on and on. But bringing Mexico in was a big deal because you had literally a country that was radically different in so many respects from the U.S. and Canada. Now, it was a boon to Mexico, which was, you know, certainly known and intended. But I believe also beneficial. To U.S. and Canada. I mean, part of the reason you make you make trade agreements at all with countries that have very different situations than you is that everybody everybody can win, theoretically can win. Now, when we got to the the first version, you know, USMCA, whatever you want to call it, of of uh, NAFTA, too, <laughs> um, it basically was 85% NAFTA. So it more or less re- renewed most of the major provisions. And, of course, there were some changes and tweaks here and there. And, and the most recent version that has been you know, achieved supposedly l- last week, but, of course, the U.S. Senate has yet to approve it, so we can't think this is a done deal yet because of the impeachment stuff in the U.S. Uh, you know, it, it's a bit of a wild card that all bets are off. But presuming it does end up being the final version, it was, a, it was some minor tweaks on the... Uh, previous, you know, USMCA or whatever you want to call it. So it certainly has evolved. The core of the agreement has stayed largely the same over time. And there have been some tweaks, most recently, a little bit on the environmental side, a little bit on pharmaceuticals, a little bit on labor standards. And, of course, Canada, in terms of this last week, the really important thing for Canada is that it now looks more likely that the deal will go ahead because really it was all about u s and mexico and notably the democrats um, wanting to feel they sort of put their stamp on the trade agreement before they were going to um, you know go ahead and approve it but for canada not a not a whole heck of a lot of difference from what we saw prior to last week.
0: Interesting that uh, Mexico at one point was quite ready to go ahead with the United States.
1: Oh well, they were. Well, they saw the dithering. Remember, Canada dithered terribly, uh, and they were sort of. I don't know if they're playing hard to get. I don't know what their strategy was there, but it, it, you know, Mexico smart. They, they were smart. They went ahead and they said, "Okay, we'll we'll negotiate with you, U.S." And as a result, Canada ended up kind of having to take. What had already been negotiated in many areas by Mexico and the U.S., which was not a, an ideal negotiating position to be in, but yeah, that that was um, that was a smart move on Mexico's part, mm-hmm. and I think Canada suffered for its dithering.
0: Now, wake up call. Hey, uh, with what's gone on in, uh, in in the UK now, with Boris Johnson having a majority Conservative government and having the uh, the right constitutionally with a majority to get uh, the UK out of uh, the EU, which he will do. Now they're going to be looking for trade deals, uh, separate trade deals. The UK and they'll look to Canada. What should we expect? We have about two minutes.
1: Oh well, I, well I think first we should be very proactive. Mind you, I'm sure that's not Boris Johnson's first priority. Right about no, now. No, no, it's amazing. Obviously, He's got a pretty full plate. Um, but we, because we have had. Uh, trading arrangements with the UK of one sort or another for <laughs> centuries, really, for, you know, very, very long time. Um, I, I certainly think it's something Canada should aggressively pursue uh, in the not too distant future. Um, we do have a good, and, and, and I, don't, I don't see the, um, you know, we do have an agreement with the European Union as well. So I wouldn't see anything terribly radically different from CETA, which is, you know, the one that we have with the, uh, with the EU right now.
0: And uh, I do have time, and I want to do this, I do have time to ask you a quick question about the developments within the Conservative Party of Canada, because you're very much conservative. Uh, I don't know if you're a member of the party or not, but... uh, I am
1: now. Okay. I am now, Roy. When I was at CFIB, of course, I maintained nonpartisan, you know, status. Um, But yes, I actually am a member of the party, and I think it was the right thing. Well, you, you and I were talking about this, Roy, not too long ago on your show. Right. Should Shear step down, and even though I think he's a, a, you know, a very solid guy and a good man and everything, my view was that he should. So, yeah. of, of course, you know, I think he did the right thing. I think he put the interests of the party ahead of himself, corny as that always sounds, but I think he did do that. I think he also saw a very severe uphill climb to renewing his leadership, and I think he was, he was right in doing that. Of course, the question now is, well, you know, what's next? What's I, next? Boy, my crystal ball is just as fuzzy as everybody else. And they can't, and, they, and, and Catherine... We're going to have to see who puts their names forward, and right now, you know, there's a long list. I'll say one thing, though. I think the party would be idiots to, to have what they had last time, which is what the Democrats in the U.S. are doing right now. A whole range right. of people... You know, many of whom are not, you know, going to be major players and so on. I think they should have a process that narrows it down to maybe three. You know, a small, small number of key potential leaders and go with that instead of this ridiculous situation of having, you know, 10 or so people vying for it.
0: You can't have a compromise candidate that comes out of a massive pack and the candidate becomes the leader simply because, well, because because they were able to compromise on him. Thanks for joining us, WorkingCanadians.ca. Catherine Swift, we'll talk again. Thank you, Roy. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.